Our text for today is from Luke chapter 5, and uh, we're going to be going through this verse by verse, so I really encourage you, if there is a Bible near you, to go ahead and open that up, or if you have a Bible app on your phone, Luke chapter 5 is found on page 860 of our church Bibles, page 860, and as we open up God's Word this morning, we begin with prayer. Almighty God, we thank you for this gift of worship, for gathering us here together to get today, and convince us and assure us that The word that is before us today is just as powerful as the word you, Jesus, preached 2,000 years ago. And I pray that we would see you and know you more, Jesus. Be with the one who teaches and who proclaims this morning with all of us who are learning and who are growing in grace. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. What must it have been like to actually see Jesus face to face? What must it have been like 2,000 years ago to be in his presence face to face? What did his face actually look? What does it actually look like? The color of his eyes, to look in his eyes, ancient and eternal and full of kindness and love. To hear Jesus preaching and teaching, to be a part of one of those crowds. What did his voice actually sound like? To see him perform those mighty, wonderful, amazing miracles. To have him reach out and to embrace you and bring you in close. I know for myself, sometimes I can just be envious of the people who are actually there. Our brothers and sisters who were there 2,000 years ago who actually did get to be with Jesus face-to-face, physically present before them. Sometimes I think, how easy would it be to believe and how wonderful that would have been. And yet it was Jesus himself who tells us, and this is recorded in John chapter 16, Jesus turned to his disciples. They knew that he was leaving them, and he says, it is for your good. It is to your advantage that I leave you, that I go away. Because when I go away, then I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit to come upon you. 
And I know that seems counterintuitive. It seems like the opposite of what is true. How can it be better? I mean, the Holy Spirit's great, but to have Jesus with you face to face, that has to be way better. And yet, this is what Jesus has told us and promised us. It is for our good to our advantage that he no longer be here physically in the way that he was. He sent his Holy Spirit that works through the word and the sacrament. And if you are here today and you really truly want to know Jesus more, and you want him to become more of a reality, more real to you. Of course, we take and eat and take and drink his very body and his blood, but it is also in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to spend time getting to know him in the Gospels. There is power there that can change you and you can know him more and more as we spend time with him in the Gospels. That's what we're going to be doing here at Our Father face-to-face, these encounters with Christ. Seven weeks, this season called Epiphany. And in this, I hope that we do learn more about ourselves, who we are. And I pray that we will know more and more who Jesus is and all of his glory and all of his love. So we begin today in Luke chapter 5, and this is one of the first encounters that Jesus has with Peter. Peter, who's going to go on to become the great leader of the church. Peter, who himself will face his own cross, who will give everything away for Jesus. This amazing strength that Peter had. Where did this come from? It all began right here in this moment. So we begin Luke chapter 5, starting with verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. I want you to try to see this in your mind's eye. There is this huge, this immense crowd that the text says is pressing in on Jesus. He's standing there by the Sea of Galilee. And you have to kind of picture a young Frank Sinatra or Elvis or Beatles, the Beatlemania and all of that fervor and excitement. This wasn't Beatlemania, this was Jesus mania that was taking place. And this crowd is just pressing in on him. They can't get enough of him, this crowd. And Jesus is backing up against the Sea of Galilee. And you see this huge crowd excited to be there with Jesus. And then off to the side, there's two boats pulled up on the shore. And the water of the Sea of Galilee is sort of lapping up against those boats. And there's this small group of fishermen And they're repairing and they're preparing and they're cleaning their nets. You see that? Now there are two strange things that we see already here in these opening verses. Two very strange things. First of all, this crowd 
pressing in on Jesus, it says. Again, Jesus mania. They are so excited. They are so excited to be there. And they're this huge crowd. And the crowd pressing in on him and excited to be around Jesus in his presence, that in and of itself isn't what is strange. Wherever Jesus went, Jesus had crowds around him for the three years of his public ministry. The crowd being around him and pressing in on him isn't what is strange. Rather, the reason why they are pressing in on him and so excited to be with him, that is what is unique here. Because why is it that these crowds of people would follow Jesus? The crowds would follow him and want to be with him and near him. Why? Most often, it was for what Jesus could do for them they were wanting a miracle we can understand that they're hungry and he feeds 5,000 hungry people blind and he gives sight to the blind deaf he gives hearing to the deaf lame and he helps them to walk people were clamoring around Jesus desperate in need for one of his miracles just for him to to reach out and for his power to go into them this is why the crowd so often were clamoring and pressing in on Jesus for his miracles but here it's very different it says the crowd was pressing in on him quote to hear the word of God what a beautiful thing that is to be so hungry for the word of God and so thirsty for the word of God and for the truth of God in this darkened world and this crowd of people just can't get enough. Jesus, speak to us, please. We just want to hear your word, the very word of God. That's why they're pressing in on him. That's the first thing that's strange here. The second thing is this small group of people who are not interested in hearing the word of God. Again, there's the two boats. There's this small group of fishermen. And we know who these fishermen are. Among these fishermen are Peter, James, and John. These are the core of the disciples. These are the foundational leaders of the church of Jesus Christ, Peter, James, and John. And they are not interested in listening to Jesus at all. They are ignoring Jesus in this moment. They are preoccupied. The text tells us that they have been up all night long fishing and that they haven't caught a single thing and they are dog tired and they are cleaning their nets because if they don't clean their nets and then their nets can rot and they can break and then that is a major situation if you have a fishing business which they had Peter, James and John these future disciples are not listening they are ignoring they are preoccupied and isn't that interesting you know, when Jesus spoke, there was usually one of two reactions. Either the people were drawn to him and they would lean in and they would, there were those few number who would stick around and ask him about the parables and ask him questions and they were drawn to Jesus when he spoke the word of God. But there was a lot of people when they heard Jesus speak who spoke with authority. He spoke with the authority of God himself and they were astonished and they were afraid and it sent them running in the opposite direction. These were the reactions that people had when Jesus spoke. But these future disciples... Isn't it interesting how easy it is 
to ignore the Word of God. They're tired. They're preoccupied. They have their concerns. They didn't catch any fish. How easy it is for us to be too tired to come to church or too tired to pick up the Bible that's on our nightstand and read, or too tired to pray, or we're just too busy. We're so preoccupied with living our lives. I'm speaking to you adults. I'm speaking to you children as well. Minecraft is way more interesting, I realize, than Jesus. I get it. But how easy it is to ignore. Jesus realizes what's going on. He knows who these men are going to be and the great calling that he's going to give to them. He knows how preoccupied they are. And so it says this in verse 3, and this is almost comical. It says, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon Peter's, Jesus asked him to put out a little from the land, and then Jesus sat down and taught the people from the boat. Can you imagine what is going on in Peter's mind right now? He is exhausted, he's tired, he needs to clean his nets, he needs to go home and get some sleep so he can get up and fish all night again and hopefully catch some fish. And all of a sudden, Jesus stands in his boat. Hey, Peter push out into the sea just a little bit. Jesus is doing that because of the pressing of the crowd, of course, and also maybe using the water as natural amplification to be heard by the people. And again, you can only imagine Peter as he's sitting there in the boat and he throws out an anchor. And look, this is no 15-minute homily that Jesus is giving here. Jesus is preaching for a while. One hour, two, three, four, five hours was the custom of rabbis in this period. And you can just see Peter there who was exhausted, tired, he's concerned, he's preoccupied. And now in the middle of the day and the sun is beating down and he is so tired he drops his anchor. But he still has to kind of keep the boat kind of steady and keep it in position where Jesus can be seen and heard. You can only imagine the frustration that he was feeling at that time. Peter was in that boat, and no doubt he was hearing the words of Jesus, but was he listening? How easy it is for us even here to come to church or watch at home or even to read our Bibles when we're frustrated or the problems or the preoccupation. Again, maybe we're not ignoring him completely. We're there, we're hearing, but we are not listening. There is a barrier. That's what we see happening with Peter. Again, Jesus, no doubt, knowing his thoughts and the concerns of Peter's heart. Peter is thinking, I got to get home. I got to catch some more fish. I got to make a living. And so I think Jesus, knowing that, says this in verse 4 that when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon, I know you want some fish. Let's go catch some fish. Simon Peter. Simon Peter answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. In other words, Peter here is saying, who does this guy think he is? 
I mean, Jesus, no offense, you're a great teacher and a great theologian, love to listen to you, it's wonderful. And word on the street is you're a wonderful carpenter. I've heard some good things. But Jesus, when it comes to fishing, you don't know what you're talking about. I've been fishing since I was a little boy. It is my family's business. He sends Peter out, and again, every good fisherman knows you don't go try to catch fish in the middle of the hot, blazing sun in the middle of the day. This is why they were fishing at night and in the early in the mornings. These nets were designed not to go out into the deep water, but to go in the shallower water. Okay, Jesus, sure, I will, whatever. Whatever you say, I'll do it. And then it says in verse 6 that when they had actually done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners, so we see uh, James and John in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. There's so many fish in these boats, the boats are threatening to sink. And you can just imagine the dollar signs that they are seeing. And I think the normal reaction might be this on the part of Peter, that Peter would go to Jesus after this and come up to Peter or go up to Jesus and say, Jesus, I had you all wrong. Hey, I want to make you partner in the Simon Peter Fishing Company. And you come back once a week. You do exactly what you did here today. We're talking 50-50, split it even. You know what? How about 60-40? Heck, Jesus, 75. You get 75%, we get 25%. We're going to be making a lot of money, and things are going to be pretty good. That's not Peter's reaction. Because something happens to him in this moment. Verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this happening, and all these fish, he fell down. Didn't just kneel down. He collapses in the boat he fell down at the knees of Jesus saying depart from me for I am a sinful man O Lord get away from me Jesus I do not like how I am feeling in your presence this is the trauma of holiness. Somehow in this moment, Peter finally, he realizes, he sees that Jesus, who he has been ignoring, frustrated with, dismissing and not listening to, that this Jesus is the one who had designed and created the fish, and the fish in those boats was merely obeying the voice of their creator. That Jesus is the one who created the lake, created the sea, created the world. Jesus, please, leave. Depart from me. I don't want to be around you. 
For I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now he calls him Lord. Several years ago now, it was behind my house. There's a green space. I was playing with my daughter, Amelia, and there was a neighbor out, a gentleman, who I'm now good friends with. And he was out there with his two friends, and so Amelia and his two friends, his two children, and uh, Amelia was playing with his kids. And we struck a conversation, and we talked for about 30 or 40 minutes. And my neighbor, throughout the conversation for 40 minutes, was using very earthy language, peppering the conversation. He knew all the words, and he knew how to use them very well. Bada-ba-bing, and da-da-da-doom, and you know the words. So he, he knew all. You know the words. You shouldn't know the words, but you know the words. He knew them all and used them all. And I knew, I knew, because this is what happens in conversations, two guys talking, I knew what was going to come, the inevitable question. So, what is it that you do for a living? <laughs> I'm a pastor. And he freezes up. I can tell his, his whole body language is stiff. And he is thinking to himself, what did I say? How many times did I say it? Oh, my goodness. Oh, this guy's a pastor. Ugh. <laughs> Sometimes I go to the hospital. I wear my collar when I make pastoral visits. And the door of the elevator opens, and people are laughing. And then they see me walk in. <laughs> Party's over. The pastor's here. Why? But, you know, and not everyone, of course. And look, if, if they knew me like you knew me, I mean. <laughs> it's because, as a pastor, I represent something, someone who is holy. I merely represent the Holy One, and people become uneasy in my presence to be in the presence of holiness for sinful human beings is the most traumatic situation we can be in you know the story of Job Job and all of his suffering and Job and all of his patience Job by the end of it had lost his patience and he lets God have it and then God appears to Job and God lets him have it reminding Job who he is and who God is and Job in chapter 42 actually says there in the presence of God as he repents and he says I despise myself and I repent in dust, in ashes, in the presence of God. I despise myself. We heard the words of Isaiah chapter 6, and Isaiah commissioned by God to be a prophet, and all of a sudden he sees a glimpse of God and all of his holiness, and the angels are calling back, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the angels are shielding themselves with two extra sets of wings to shield themselves from the glory and the holiness of God, and Isaiah falls down to the ground, just like Peter here, and he says, woe is me I'm ruined and you know Matthew chapter 2 the story of the wise men we saw that last week there's a funny little sentence that maybe you, you remember 
where it says, when King Herod learned that the Christ had appeared and entered the world, it said that King Herod, quote, was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. He was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him was disturbed deep within. Why? Because the Holy One had entered into a sinful world. Please get away from me, O Lord. Please. I can't take it. And so as we wrap up here, what does Jesus say to Peter? Jesus says, you know, Peter, I noticed when you were preoccupied and too busy to pay attention to me. I saw that, Peter. And Peter, I saw when you were frustrated with me, and I saw when you dismissed me, and I saw when you didn't trust me or believe me or believe my word, Peter. I saw all of that. You think so little of me, Peter? You have so little time for me? Peter, you're too busy for me? Yeah, that's right. You should be afraid in my presence. Jesus could have said that. He would have been just to do that, but that's not what Jesus does. The end of verse 10, Jesus turns to Simon Peter right there in the boat. Peter is trembling at his feet. Jesus reaches out and says, Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching, not fish, but people. And he invites Peter in to a relationship, and he invites Peter in to be a part of his mission. And Jesus here is saying, I am part of the catching people business. I'm not here to condemn the world. I'm here to save the world. I'm not here to condemn you, Peter. I'm here to save you, Peter. And that's what Jesus says to you. I'm not here to condemn you. I am here to save you. Who would have imagined that the Holy One, God himself, would come into this world to suffer and to die? As the author of Hebrews said in our second reading, that he would give up himself as the sacrifice. That the Holy One would become unholy. That the Glorious One would be covered in shame. That he would become sin so that you here today might know that you are the righteousness of God. And that's who you are when you go to school on Monday morning or on Tuesday this week. When you go to work, you are the righteousness of God. And so, having now seen Jesus and seen his love, Verse 11, it says, when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. They left everything. That means all of those beautiful fishies, 
The boats were filled. They could have made so much money. I don't know who got the fish and who got the money. Somebody did. But they left it all behind. They left those vocations and that security, and they went and they followed Jesus. And Jesus is calling you today to follow him. How do you respond to Jesus? We can ignore him, we can dismiss him, it's so easy to do. We can be frustrated, we can doubt, we cannot trust. All of these things, we all do it. Despite all of that, he calls you, he loves you, he died for you, and he says to you today, follow me. So let's pray for that right now as we close. Jesus, we thank you for your word, for showing yourself. Help us to draw closer to you, to know you more, to see your glory, to see your holiness, to see you, who you are, to be in awe of you, and therefore that the cross and your sacrifice would become all the more sweeter and your grace would be all the more amazing to us. And then help us, Lord, to follow you young or old, students, parents, Christian or not Christian, that we would make you number one in our hearts. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.